Father, um, we are here to be with you, to meet with you. Ask you to fill us with your spirit, to speak to us. Ask you to give us some fuel and some strength for the year ahead. Ask that you'd inspire us, God, to go again with everything you've put on our heart as a church to do. Amen. Amen. Here we go, Luke 5. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he, that's Jesus, had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done, when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. They left everything and followed him. So I want to recommission us again. At the start of 2016, I want to talk about Jesus. We're going to talk about Peter. We're going to talk about us. We're just going to walk through the Bible passages together. I don't know if you're anything like me. When I read the Bible, certainly first time through, uh, often it's just a, a series of words and ideas, and I get some of it, but not all of it. So I thought it would be good and fun, perhaps, to just walk through it together and see what we can glean from it. I want us to start by looking at Jesus. This is the, the guy that the stories really about. There's two main characters in this little bit, Jesus and Peter. But let's look at Jesus. Um, It says this, on one occasion, if you could come put that up there for us, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Now, the lake of Gennesaret is is another name for the Sea of Galilee, which is the largest uh, freshwater lake in Israel. Jesus appears in this section as, a, as something of a, of a local celebrity. People have heard about him. They've witnessed the things that he's done in healing people and in de- declaring the word of God. And they're gathering in. They're pressing in around him to hear more from him. In, in this society with the people of Israel, they were the, ch- the Old Testament tells us they were the chosen people of God. The ones that God had spoken to several times throughout history. But for the past 400 years, there'd been nothing, no voice from God, no prophet in the land. Jesus arrives and is declaring, it says here, the word of God. He's giving people the very words from God, not just some blessed thoughts and some nice ideas. He's teaching people the word of God. And if you read the rest of the New Testament, you know that the message that Jesus was most commonly known for is the message that he declared when he said the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is at hand. So in all likelihood, Jesus was standing by the the shores of the Sea of Galilee, this crowd pressing in around them. He's declaring not just nice ideas, but this prophetic voice, this prophetic word for people from God himself. The voice, the message is this, the kingdom of God is here. It's at hand. And what he means by that 
is that although God rules generally and sovereignly everywhere, there's also an area in which God is king, the kingdom of God. And this area isn't a geographical place. The kingdom of God is, it comes whenever anyone submits to and receives the, the kingship and rule and reign of God over their lives. Jesus is saying, the reign of God is now here and you can know him personally for yourself. You can submit to his decrees. You can be a subject in his kingdom. Have him lead you. Have his good news be the good news that guides you. Have his spirit in you, giving you power and strength. The kingdom of God is here. And people are pressing in to hear that message hanging on his every word. The local celebrity is in town. And that's what he's starting. That's how we get introduced to him in this moment. He saw two boats by the lakes, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, so it looks like he's stealing a boat, but he's not stealing a boat because it says, which was Simon's. Ah, he knows Simon, Simon Peter. So he's obviously let him have this boat. He asked him to put it out a little from land, and he sat down to talk to the people, which was quite common. The teacher in the ancient world would sit, everyone else would stand. We should maybe try that one Sunday. Not now. <laughs> There's a guy at the front sits, everyone else stands. There's a mark of respect for the Word of God. And again, it's important that we, we get this I'm reading and teaching from the Bible because this is the Word of God for us. Anything that a preacher might say is have application or exhortation from this book. This is the authoritative truth and standard for our lives. Everything else, I hope, is in, in keeping with the, the truth and spirit of it and in, in, in applying it to our lives. But this is, this is what we submit to. We bow before. I trust this Bible, this book. And I trust it not because some, some preacher told me to or because the Bible tells me to. I trust it because Jesus trusted it. And Jesus predicted his own death and resurrection and pulled it off. And if anyone can do that, I'm going to listen to them. And I'm going to trust their standard for truth. Jesus trusted the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus, when he preached, was preaching a word, the word from God. And so that's why. That's why, again, we're listening to this. So we're gathered together, not just to hear about what happened when Jesus preached the Word of God, but we're here to sit under the teaching of the Word of God again. At the start of 2016, this is where we sit. And he taught the people from the boat. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. And when they'd done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. This is an unusual moment, a miraculous catch of fish. Many painters have painted this in history. Um, But what's going on here, it seems, is that Jesus moves from teaching about the kingdom of God to demonstrating it. He's taught them, God is back. He's in charge and he's actively at work in your life. People have gathered around to hear that. And now he says to his disciples, let me just make sure you get this. Let's just go out fishing. It's the middle of the day. Fish don't, it's not easy to catch fish in the middle of the day. They stay close to the bottom. And so Peter's like, well, we've been fishing all night. We're fishermen. We know how to fish. You can't tell us how to do our job, but since you've said it, we'll do it. That's the kind, that's, that's the kind of attitude you, m- most people interpret Peter to have at this point. It's this, oh, fine, we'll do what you said. We don't think it's, anything's going to come from it because we've been fishing all night and we've not caught anything. By the way, they don't seem like they're very good fishermen. No, no, any any time you see them in the New Testament, they don't catch anything until Jesus tells them what to do. Anyway, so so they put the the boat out, and then Jesus, as a a demonstration, 
that God is here, that he's actively at work in the world, and as a demonstration that he, Jesus, can command nature. These fish, I don't know where they come from, but they they suddenly find themselves drowning and sinking for the amount of fish that they catch. Now, what do we get from this? What can we glean about Jesus here? Well, I'm sure there's lots of things. One of the things that I find is that this is personally challenging by the sheer fact that this exists, this story exists in the world. The fact that the man, Jesus of Nazareth, existed in the world is personally challenging to us and our lives. We have to make a decision about what we think about this. Because it's not just a one-off occasion of Jesus doing something miraculous here. This whole book is littered with occasions where Jesus is healing and preaching and and, and casting out demons and, and giving recovery of sight to people making outrageous statements about himself as being God incarnate, here to lead people. It's a personal challenge to us. It ought to be an affront to us. This makes us sit up and go, what do I, what do, I do now? The fact that this happened in history, well, did it happen in history? Because that's, the one, that's one of the responses we can have. If this didn't happen, if Jesus didn't die and rise, then we can go on our merry little way and just convince ourselves that the world has been largely deceived by a group of people who made up something and it influenced all of the world. It's a strange world to live in. Or we have to come to the conclusion this happened, not just this, but everything that gets recorded here about Jesus. And we have to square up to that, decide what we're going to do with that. Jesus said some outrageous things. And he either was doing so because he was a bad man trying to deceive people and lead them astray. He uh, he tricked people into thinking that he was a a powerful wonder worker and man from God. So they would give up everything and follow him. He was a bad man. Or he was lying, just trying to deceive people. To what end? Because he wanted to trick them again. Or he was telling the truth. But having a story like this, again, when I read it, it causes me this, it jars. But it tells me something else about this man, Jesus. He comes across as being someone so incredibly secure in himself. The crowds gather and say, okay, I'll I'll get this boat, we'll sit here. And he tells the fishermen what to do. We're going to go out and fish. They disagree. He doesn't care. <laughs> Peter throws himself at his feet. And what does Jesus do at this point? Ah, you should have believed me. <laughs> Stupid fisherman. Of course. You. No, he doesn't. Jesus is so secure in himself. He's so aware that he's in charge. He just offers these words of kindness to Peter. Peter, when he realizes who Jesus is, falls at his feet. says, get away from me. I'm a sinner. There's loads I've done wrong. And if you've had that experience, when you've realized the grandeur and greatness of God, maybe you've seen it in nature, and you've, or you've looked up in the sky at night, and you've thought, I'm so small and insignificant. Woe is me. Or I'm undone. Or I'm nothing. I'm so insignificant. And at that moment, what God responds how Jesus responds here. He says those words, do not be afraid. Again, at the start of a new year, this is what Jesus would say to us. Do not be afraid. And he speaks these words of commission to Peter. I will make you a fisher of men. You'll be able to believe for bigger, live for more. Your life is about more than you thought it was. You're going to catch men from now on. Which again, kind of jars with us. You think, oh, he's, he's sending Peter out to go and catch people and trick them. 
If I was to say, come on church, let's go and catch people, <laughs> makes me sound more like a child snatcher from a Dickens novel or, or like those people in um, Philip Pullman novels who kind of, well, I can't remember their names. I should have thought of it before I started speaking. But you go out and catch people and trick them, deceive them. And that's what it sounds like. And so uh, to our modern ears, we think, oh no, I don't like the sound of that. But what Jesus is using, is he's doing, is he's, he's taking the kind of imagery of their working world. They're familiar with catching fish. And he's saying, look, you're used to doing this. Now we're going to make it about people. Okay? You've spent your life befriending and killing fish and knowing about the patterns of fish. Now let me redirect your gaze to something bigger. People made in the image and likeness of God. You're going to be about influencing them, recruiting them for this, this cause, this cause of redeeming and rescuing and reconciling mankind who's become estranged from God, who are now lost in this sea of sin, um, tormented by the devil and tormented by death. People who live under the shadow of death, constantly afraid of it, constantly held captive because of our lifelong fear of death. Jesus says to Peter, now you're going to go and rescue them. And he uses fish as a, as a helpful metaphor for him. Or he, he could have used it about anything. You know, you're a gardener. <laughs> You're not going to look after and tend plants anymore. You're going to do it for people. Jesus wants to lift our eyes. You might think, well, I just, I don't know, I work in the pharmaceutical company. I just sell drugs to people, not to kids. I don't sell drugs to kids. I sell legal drugs to people. That's what I do to make them well. So when we're not just working with drugs now, you're working with people. You're looking to heal and restore and give dignity to people. Or whatever you do in your profession, Jesus would look at that and say, I want you to think bigger. I want you about restoring people, reconciling people to myself. So we see Jesus, the one that we gather to. But we also see Peter. Um, and Peter's, Peter's, he's a goodie for most of us. We like Peter. We can relate to Peter. Because Peter, um, well, he's like a lot of us. Or he's certainly like me. Um, he was the self-appointed spokesman of the group. No one asked him to, but he just happens to be the one that speaks first. Um, and it's always, always his opinion that we hear about most often. Peter was the one who, when Jesus said everyone else was going to deny him and run away, Peter said, I will never do it. And then he does. But he's the self-appointed spokesman. Or, or when Jesus tries to wash everybody's feet, Peter says, you're never going to wash my feet. I, I can't let you do that to me. And, and then Jesus says, Unless I wash your feet, you can't be part of me. And so Peter says, well, in that case, wash every part of me. Give me a shower. And Jesus at that point threw the bowl of water over his head. No, he didn't, but I'm sure he was tempted to. And so Peter was that guy who was like, I am more enthusiastic and passionate than the, next, than the rest of us, all of them. He was that guy. A lot of energy, a lot of enthusiasm. But as we know, his story, he denied that he ever knew Jesus in front of a servant girl in a courtyard. Jesus was arrested and Peter thought, yikes. I don't want people to know that I'm with him. And he distanced himself from him. This moment, I think, re represents the moment where for Peter, it sh something shifted. He went from being uh, a tourist of Jesus, kind of, yeah, with him, but just kind of checking out what he does, to being one who sold out for him. Went from being an inquirer to a follower. How do I know this? Well, I don't, but... We look at some of the verses where it, it talks about Jesus and Peter knowing one another. See, Peter's already a follower of Jesus at this point. So let's just back up a little bit and see how did Peter and Jesus come to know each other. Peter was to go on and in, in the end of his life. He was going to end up being crucified upside down uh, where St. Peter's church is in Rome now. 
But at the end of his life, Peter was so determined to be a Christian and a follower of Jesus that he was willing to be killed for it, but not just killed like everybody else in typical Peter fashion. He's like, no, I want to go whole hog. So they crucified him upside down because he didn't consider himself worthy enough to be crucified the right way up. So how did he get there? Well, when he first met Jesus uh, in John 1, this is the first time he hears about him, um, Peter's brother, Andrew, basically meets Jesus, who he thinks this is the Messiah, and he goes and gets his brother. And he says to him, we found the Christ. He brought Peter to Jesus. Jesus looked at him in the red. I thought that would be clearer, but it's harder to read, I think. Jesus looked at him and said, so you are Simon, the son of John. (laughs) He asks her questions like, I have heard of you. You're Simon, the son of John, right? Okay. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter, which in English is rock. You shall be called Rocky. (laughs) Balboa. We added that last bit. You shall be called the rock. This is the first time Peter meets Jesus. And Jesus, I've heard of you. I'll call you the rock. <laughs> now, I can almost see Peter going, oh, I like this guy. I'm going I'm to follow him. That, he sounds like a good guy. Jesus, come and meet Jesus. Oh, by the way, I'm, I call, I'm rock now. Just call me the rock. I'm that secure, which is kind of ironic given, given what he went on to do. Anyway, so that's the first time they meet. In Matthew chapter 4, it records uh, another occasion they meet. And I know that that other one comes first. is because here, it says this. So while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Probably didn't catch anything. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. That's the first time you get introduced to Peter in Matthew's gospel. And so trying to piece the two together, you think, well, this guy immediately left everything and followed him. He wouldn't necessarily have done that if it was the first time Jesus had said anything to him. That always strikes me as quite a, a strange mystical moment. Jesus walking along the street, follow me. Yes, okay. Like, no, it makes sense that in John's account would have come first. <laughs> so Peter, the rock now christened, is um, fishing. And this man who he's met before, who he's heard of, he's, he, he's got some idea that he might be the Christ, says to him, follow me. At that point, it says they left everything and followed him. So there, he, Peter was an inquirer, but he was a committed inquirer. He was journeying, journeying to follow Jesus. I mean, we have a similar account in Mark 1. This is the same, same version, really, that Matthew borrowed from Mark. Um, that's another story. And, um, and, that, and that's, how they, that's how Jesus or Peter came to follow Jesus. And then we have our occasion here in Luke 5, where it says again, immediately they left everything and followed him. But there was a transition that took place here. Because here, it wasn't just about Peter leaving his nets. Peter understood and saw who Jesus was. He saw that this man commands nature. I mean, before, Peter might have liked Jesus because he kind of called him the rock. Give him a, and he looks like, oh yeah, he's, this is the Messiah, I'll follow him, I'll be part of his cause. But here, something shifts in Peter's understanding of who Jesus is. You're not just someone we think might be the Messiah you, you speak to nature. You know more about fishing than I do. And they give up. It says they left everything and followed him. Basically, Peter was in charge of some kind of fishing business. Um, it's his boat. He's got crew working the boats with him. There are partners that he calls out to when the fish start coming into the boat. So Peter had a, a significant business that was their father's before them. And he just gives that up. I've seen something. I've seen someone worth living for. He 
followed Jesus, not knowing the kind of impact that Jesus would have on his life or where his life would eventually lead itself to. But at that moment, something shifted. But it took a, a while for him to get there. That's what I wanted to say. It took a while for him to get there. I've heard it said before, I read it in some book, and I think it's true. I certainly bears true in my experience that before people become a sold-up, card-carrying, baptized, born-again Christian, there's a period of inquiry. See, you're not born a Christian. You can't get christened and become a Christian. You don't kind of just tick a box on a census and go, yeah, I'm a Christian. No, there's something much more than that. For Peter, it looked like leaving everything and following him. Jesus says, unless you're born again, you can't even see the kingdom. So Jesus says, no, there's this being reborn process that is about being a Christian. And that affects everything about your life, your desires, your direction. Everything changes. But before that, in Peter's case, in my experience, there's a process of inquiry. Anyway, this book that I was reading said that basically before someone becomes a Christian, they need to be convinced. But they need to be convinced in a few different ways. You need to be intellectually convinced. You need to think, this makes reasonable, rational sense to me. You need to be experientially convinced. Um, I've experienced something of the love of God, personally, tangibly, subjectively. And you need to be relationally convinced. There are some people I know, and I think they're all right, half all right. And they're Christians, and oh, okay. That's, I mean, that's not, that's not gospel. That's just someone's observation. And actually, in my experience, that was true. Now, sometimes it was compounded into one moment where someone preached something and I heard it and thought, wow, that makes sense. And then for me, it was experiencing the power of God and thinking, this God is real. And what is this? I've never experienced this before. And then I met someone and I thought, oh, you're nice. And you're a Christian? Huh. And for me, it was a dominoes dropping until one day I said, I want to get baptized and follow this Jesus for myself. We love inquirers here at King's. We want to be a church that welcomes people who want to inquire about faith. And you can spend as long as you like inquiring about faith. Heck, you can even call yourself a Christian and go, I'm still an inquirer. Like, yeah, I get that. I'm a Christian, but I've still got tons of questions. All right, they don't teach you in pastor college how to answer every question in the world. No, I'm still journeying with Jesus, working through questions. The difference is now, I've seen enough to go, I want to live for him, and I want to give myself for him. So, um, I said I'd be quicker, didn't I? Normal. Hmm. I, found, I really want to share this. This is good. You'll like this. Well, maybe you, some of you will hate this, because so, <laughs> that's just how it goes. Um, statistics and information about the people we live around. I love that kind of stuff. So, the Evangelical Alliance, which is the kind of body of churches that we're part of, and the Church of England, um, they, uh, together with another organization, um, c- commissioned the Barna Group to do some research on perceptions of Jesus, Christians, and evangelism in England. And their findings were quite interesting. Uh, There's a booklet. You can look at it at the end if you like. Uh, But I have a couple of things to show you. As I said, some of you, I know when I've done this before, you're like, oh, we hate statistics. I find them helpful and interesting. So there, I have the microphone. Um, It says this. In this this study that they did, which is statistically credible, okay, they conducted among thousands of people asking them different attitudes towards faith. 57% of people in England identified themselves as Christians, but 9% of those identified themselves as practicing. A practicing Christian in their survey was someone who went to church at least once a month and read the Bible occasionally, prayed occasionally. 
Because as a practicing Christian, I'm sure it could be broader than that. What that tells me, though, is this, that 48% of people in England potentially are inquiring or at least open to faith. Another fact, interesting. 41%, oh no, wait, that's not the right one, is it? Mm. Another fact, no, we'll go for this one. No, no, this one. Okay, people are watching, Jez. Okay. Um, for <laughs> 41% of people um, in England who are Christians attribute their becoming a Christian to, th- to growing up in a household of faith. Which, if you grow up in a household of faith, that's a long period of inquiry. You get to see the good, the bad, and the ugly. And there's some ugly moments. <laughs> you get to see all of that. And you inquire and you watch and you think, does this add up? Does this really help you? And I know you've gone away and, and, and you've come back and I've watched that. And 48% of people, 41% of people who are Christians attribute it to growing up in a household of faith. Which is interesting from an inquiry point of view, but it's also it's telling for those of us who have children or are trying to create a household of faith, be Christian parents. It tells us that as parents, you have the by far and away the largest impact on people becoming a Christianism is in your children, among your children. They're looking at you. They're watching. I shouldn't put any pressure. I should put some pressure on you. You can't inevitably feel the pressure right now. But that should encourage you as well. So you can make a real impact on your kids. In fact, in, an, in another survey that was done, 80, 82% of children, said that 82% of children raised in households of faith continue in that faith of their parents. 82%, that's quite high. Okay, I, I realize like, I'm potentially just chucking out statistics that you go, ah, you can use a statistic to convince anybody of anything. But these are certified um, studies, hopefully. Another thing that was done is that 54% of self-identified non-Christians, you may identify yourself as that, who are friends with a Christian, have never had a conversation about their faith. 54%. One in five of those who have said that they were open to finding out more about their friend's faith. This is, quite, this is quite a big idea. 20% of the people that we know who aren't Christians are open to finding out more. One in five. Picture five friends that you know, if you're a Christian, five friends that you know. At least one of them, according to our survey, and surveys are always right, are open to finding out more about faith. That should encourage us. Often as Christians, we, we can live with a bit of a, uh, a minority martyr complex. Oh, everybody hates me. I'm the only Christian in the village kind of idea. I know. People are open. They're interested. That's why we're running Alpha. Um, okay. Right. Let's get back into the Bible. So that's Jesus uh, and Peter. I want to talk about us. Because at the end of this story, it says, Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and they followed him. Now, this miraculous catch of fish, as it's called, signaled also the commission, not just on Peter, but on the church generally, to go and make disciples, to rescue people, to go and spread the message that God loves people and wants people to come to know him. And that's the call and commission that we're living under as well. That's why we started a church here just three years ago. Oh, five years ago, sorry. We started a church here so that we could reach people in Seaford who don't know Jesus. 
And we've got the one who can speak to the fish, the one who commands nature, the one who loves people and gave his life to them with us. What I observe, though, what is interesting in this story is that the call to be a fisher of men is not to be an English fisher who likes to go on Saturday mornings as his hobby to sit like a gnome on the riverbank with a rod and occasionally sit there and wait and, you know, read a book. I've never done it before, but it looks fun. It just You're on your own. And that's often when someone says, we're gonna, I'm gonna be, Jesus says, go and be a fisher of men. And we think, I need, to, I need to do that. Okay, I can do that on my own. Let's go. Whereas actually the image here is of a group of people, a team, fishing together. And that's important for us to hear. Because our society breeds this and our nature encourages this. 